what made you guys decide this format of a podcast? Like, why, why this? I like watching romantic comedies. You're sappy. makes me talk more you know but i mean but maybe that's good you know because maybe i'll just say it maybe maybe i'll just tell you i slept with someone david lynn hogging from work you met him at the christmas party the one Please with stop. The, the last person in the world that i want to hurt is if you, you keep cow, talking but, i'm gonna get out of the car i think the fact that i did it it just shows how broken we are okay. how much how much we really need to Everyone, welcome to The Grand Gesture, a podcast where coastal elite Dave and country bumpkin Mike apply everything they've learned from movies to their love lives. And this week, we are taking a look at Crazy Stupid Love, and we have a brand new guest for our show, but but a friend of both of us. We have Hyro from the True Bromance podcast. Thanks for being here, Hyro. Well, thanks for inviting me on. I'm very honored to be on the first recording, maybe ninth Maybe never aired episode of good, the Grand Gesture. The lost episode of the Grand Gesture. Yeah. What is that clown that cries thing? <laughs> That's episode two, actually. That's what we're covering with yeah. the Grand Gesture. <laughs> <laughs> Should I introduce myself, kids. or do you think the accent will? Does that solidify me? Everybody the... knows you're a country bumpkin. I don't go. think there's any question. Good. I don't we're like good. to talk. I just like to podcast. Oh, no. I was like, Duh. I don't know if that's true. So, Hyra, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do over at uh, True Bromance Film for the four listeners we have up to this point, four weeks <laughs> in. <laughs> so, at the old True Bromance Film podcast, I spend most of my time trying to carry my co-host from point A to point B because he is the most gelatinous, lazy human being known to man while we talk about movies casually. Um, you both, gen- you gentlemen have both been on at- once or twice, maybe, but uh, you know, it's just a casual podcast that uh, revolves around film from time to time and uh, tries to e- hit the eject button and, on some of the pretentious uh, nature of film criticism. So, yep, that's us, the True Romance Film Podcast. Google it. We're all about the pretension here. That's why we're doing a romantic comedy right. podcast. <laughs> we're we're going to class up the genre just a little bit. So we're going to get into it, uh, as with all romantic comedies, the meet cute, which is the introduction of our couples. And as it's presented in Crazy Stupid Love, uh, it's pretty much about rejection and acceptance of rejection. I think this probably plays into the backlash that I've read and heard uh, in some discussions of this film with the climax uh, the grand gesture. But at the beginning, we have Steve Carell garnering all the sympathy from the audience as uh, Cal, who is on his date night with his lifetime partner and wife, Emily, played by Julianne Moore, has been told that she wants a divorce. And without much in the way of dialogue from him, he accepts his fate and throws himself out of their moving car on the way home. <laughs> so our second couple, uh, this is really kind of problematic for us to start this off as our first recording. We picked a film with three couples here. But our second couple is Cal and Emily's son, Robbie, who has just been caught masturbating by the family babysitter, <laughs> Jessica. That's also why we brought Hiro on as our first guest here to, to speak yeah, to this, this particular oh. problem. 
Yes, uh, I am a frequent flyer <laughs> in, uh, on that uh, stagecoach. Uh, and upon the babysitter's acceptance, or at least the best acceptance that she can muster upon catching him in the act, he proceeds to overshare pretty much throughout the film by revealing that he thinks of her while he does it. Uh, finally, we are introduced to our third pair, uh, Emma Stone, who plays Hannah and will be revealed later to be Cal and Emily's daughter, rebuffs the local tomcat Jacob, played by Ryan Gosling, every man and woman and, I guess, animal's dream right here. Uh, he goes a bit over the top in attempting to get her to go home with him, uh, accepts her walking away with a somewhat adoring look on his face, and uh, shows that even he uh, can handle rejection. So that's established right off the top that these couples will spend the rest of the film uh, seeing the characters uh, open to the possibility of love, but also not really expecting it to happen. So that's that's basically the the, the premise of of this film. And uh, I don't know. I guess we, we'll we'll go to our, our guest first because nobody wants to hear Dave just yet. Even though he's the coastal elite, so we don't. We've already got them in the back because this is a podcast. So there's going to be plenty of white people with money listening to it. <laughs> is that what I am? <laughs> I'm the first part. I don't know about the rest. You, you the can pride still work of Reno. <laughs> pride of Reno. Yes. The closest thing they've got to pride is me. That's it. So my, my first question to our guest here is, as I mentioned, we're going to be introduced to three couples. This is a true ensemble piece. Uh, do you think there there's a fair balance from the start with the, the various problems? The uh, They're all three from different generations, different points in their lives. Uh, so we see a married couple, we see a teenager who's probably never had any experience with love yet, and then we see some 20-somethings who have probably in their prime of having many experiences, especially the Jacob character. So how, how do you feel that they introduce this in a pretty quick fashion, all these various setups? I think it does a really good job of that. I mean, I, I think it uh, keeps us some things uh, cl- uh, close to the vest with some of the reveals that you just spoiled. But So this film... As you guys invited me on, I started thinking about it. It reminds me a lot of the Before trilogy, where you go on this long journey. You know, obviously, Linklater is, is taking us in decades of time. But what he's really doing is highlighting the the various stages of love and relationships um, through uh, a person's life. You know, that very young, idealistic love that you get through Robbie's character, where he's he's just a boy, right? I mean, and we I think we've all been there. Well, maybe not Dave, because he's cold dark heart uh, knows no love and then That's you true. get the, the emma stone character and them and they're kind of meeting you see them at that that crossroads where they're meeting the right one right they're meeting the one that's going to change them or or get her to be a little more uh spontaneous and get him R-rated. to be a little more settled in. yeah you know let her have a little good time and then you've got the older couple kind of at that again another crossroads where you know complacency has kind of set in you dressed in an oversized coat and and running shoes with poorly cut pants and she's out there with David Linhagen. So you I think they do a good job of setting that up in a in a short amount of time where, you know, the before trilogy is a is a series of films that, you know, definitely takes its time to to set all that up, but I think it works here. I mean, I, I you're immediately buying into these situations because they do feel so familiar. They do feel like somewhere you have been at some point in your life. So there's pretty wide demographic here as far as experiences. If you're appealing to teenagers going out to see this film or adults going out for right. for a date night. I think that everybody can, can sort of relate to at least one or multiple characters. You know, older gentlemen like myself, I can kind of relate to all three. Um, you know, <laughs> Hold on a second. I, I take issue with the Jacob. The Jacob <laughs> character is the one I would take issue with. 
It's so the obsession with fashion. That's that's the only connection. I'm gonna send you some pictures after this of me and my pride, my friend. There were abs and stuff underneath. That's this, good because uh, we need promos. We're gonna put one up every day right? for these, these yeah. episodes. <laughs> We've already got one for Dave that you cooked up for us in our, yes. our marketing department. <laughs> well, one one thing that it. I mean, okay, one thing it. You know, it's it's still because it's about one family. Uh, it's going to be about a particular demographic that is and uh, upon rewatch i did notice that it kind of suffers a little bit from that i guess nancy meyer syndrome and that like every place that these people live it's very nice uh jacob is the, the character that i guess explains it uh, he has a sequence where he talks about his his family to emma stone and uh, says that he was left basically just left with a great deal of money and that's why he has plenty of time to work on his uh dirty dancing uh maneuver uh but also even even cal Cal and Emily are you know, pretty well off. They're they're in a very sort of beautiful scenic home, and I, I Dave, I wondered what you thought about that because you know you're the coastal elite. Uh, you're the one that can speak to that a little bit more. Do you think it's a, a little bit of comfort food that they're setting up that Cal needs to reunite with Emily because the, the home life there, other than the fact that she expresses she cheated on him, anytime he goes back to that, whether in a dream sequence or when he kind of does landscaping at night <laughs> to check in on the family. Uh, it's very scenic. It, you know, it looks very inviting. Like it looks like that's the place he's supposed to be as opposed to his uh, pretty simple apartment with Marissa Tomei. I never thought I'd use the word simple apartment with Marissa Tomei jumping on you, but it's still, you know, it's not very aesthetically pleasing. Not Marissa Tomei, yeah, I, the apartment. No I, <laughs> no, I think that's a great point actually, is that I think my only, my only issue with, with the beginning of this movie, with this kind of meet cute that you talked about, is how quickly Steve Carell is like, yeah, yeah, I'll leave, whatever, and just disappears from the home really quickly. Like, there's no discussions, there's no like figuring out who's going to leave. He just volunteers this as long as she please just stop talking about what, our you wanna, divorce. You want to get out of War here? of the Roses type situation? You want him up I in know. the attic? <laughs> no, I mean, I understand. What that are you it looking for here? Comedy. What is there to talk <laughs> about? Go quickly. But, um, but I think you're right that, you know, his kind of very stark apartment in comparison to this beautiful home where he he's the one it seems like has kept up this home, too. I think that's an important point that the movie brings up. He's the one who knows how to, you know, landscape the yard. And he's like constantly worried about like, well, make sure you don't overwater this. You got to you got to be careful with this. This is this is the place that he has always known as home and this woman that he's always known at home. Yeah. And, and so he's constantly trying to get back there, even if kind of outwardly he's given up, I think kind of underneath that he's always trying to get back to her. And that becomes clear, like as the movie goes on. I think it's important. You have Julianne Moore. Uh, That's true. Is, is the one to get back to, because even, even in her, uh, breakup uh which is very on the nose first i want a divorce and then let me tell you about this affair that i've had please uh, stop talking <laughs> it's it's never said with any spite in fact and i don't even say it's said with much shame as far as what she did i, I like the way it's handled because there's stuff that she's basically trying to get at him that he's become very complacent which is interesting that he is so about his home life and he's a great father from everything we hear from the babysitter mm -hmm. has a great relationship with the son uh, but he's become complacent with her, and I like that the sequence where she talks about just going to see Twilight, just going to see a very terrible movie by herself. She's expressing that she's not even enjoying, you know, being alone, being single, or removing him from the family life. She's in pain while she does it. But I think what you're talking about is sort of a great. It's a great way for us to sympathize with her that he doesn't fight at all. Because you're just like, wow, because right. then you infer how long has she been trying to get his attention before she makes this decision to fall for Kevin Bacon, which 
much like Mrs. Doubtfire serving a Pierce Brosnan role, even though he is a homewrecker here, he we're never led to believe he's anything but a nice guy who is genuinely interested in her. Like he's not just out for sex. Like it seems like he's developed a crush on her at the office and he thinks that she's like some great prize. Like it's like he could have right. a, a beautiful life with her. Doesn't he like offer cut- to take her to like the opera or something or other? The ballet. I mean, he's really pulling out all the stops yeah, the ballet. To, yeah. to woo her in a in a genuine way, in a way that isn't completely predicated on uh, on sexual uh, intercourse, as it should. Yeah, be. and there's there's a couple different times in the movie where they kind of get caught together, and he she refers to him as well. This is my friend from work, and you can see he's hurt by this. Like he wants to be more to her, and he is more to her, but she won't kind of stand up and say like, you know. This is this is my boyfriend or this is someone I'm interested in. It's always like, oh, yeah, this is my coworker. Nothing's happening here. She's very protective of of kind of those labels. And he wants more from her. Like a Dave trying to get us to pity David Linghagen over here. <laughs> the home record. Why do you hate Kevin Bacon? Why do you? Oh, no, I love me some Kevin Bacon. But, I, I think uh, he's always been very likable. Hollow Man yeah. uh, is just your every man. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> Sleepers. Not Have you guys seen <laughs> Sleepers? Not... He's really putting on the romantic moves there, isn't he? The Footloose? woodsman. The woodsman. He's a very earnest man in the woodsman. <laughs> oh my God. Was he in that Christian Bale, uh, uh, not Christian Bale, Christian uh, Slater prison movie? <laughs> Where he's got like I, I believe an he's eye the, gouge I believe he's the, one, uh, he's the one being abused there, right? I believe so. So finally, yeah, finally playing someone not on, you know, he's totally unlikable in that because he has no power. <laughs> not predatory. <laughs> he doesn't have it together like he does in Sleepers. Um, or in Tremors. <laughs> We've talked a lot about Kevin Bacon, who really doesn't play. I mean, he plays a uh, punching bag here throughout the film for the most part. As Dave, as you said, even with Julianne Moore, um, that gets us back to Steve Carell, who I guess for the first act uh, is also a punching bag. And he's a a willing participant in being a punching bag. Like he uh, going back to that idea of acceptance, he quickly accepts this stranger. I believe he's derided as gay uh, in a sequence where he looks over and sees Ryan Gosling surrounded by women. Must be gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. What? <laughs> but, you know, that's that's. I don't know if it's quite the leap because of the uh, the dire straits he finds himself in. And, of course, he probably would feel very lonely, used to uh, mm-hmm. decades-long family man lifestyle. But, yeah, he decides to, to walk on the wild side and hang out with a stranger who will become his mentor, which I think is probably some of the, the more – popular highlights of this film, more crowd-pleasing elements, yeah. uh, the, the Mr. Miyagi stuff uh, where he dresses him up. And uh, I wanted to toss it back to our guests. What, what do you make? Because we often, you know, we see this, I think, more so with women in these type of films where you have that sort of like ugly duckling type approach where you, you, you make them over. You have the pretty woman moment or the, the one with Anne Hathaway. And I, I, I was trying to think of other films where we see a man just, you have basically a makeover sequence where he, uh, you know, he gets beautified in some way. And that's clearly what they're doing with Steve Grell with the haircut and the, uh, the fashion sense that he develops. Or clearly forced you haven't uh, ventured too far into the eighties gem. That is can't buy me love. Oh, where, uh, can't say I have. Here we go. Patrick Jeez. Dempsey gets the sleeves torn off and then the hair kind of tussled up with a little bit of mousse. And suddenly he is uh, hot to trot down the aisles of his high school. Um, Dave, how dare you? show disdain to this great American classic. Oh, no, um, it's I just hope, disdain for you continuing to mention it. It's nothing I hope to movie. see it on an episode of, uh, <laughs> of uh, what's this podcast called again? <laughs> I'm marking it off the list right now. <laughs> we're going to have to put that on the Patreon. Then. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to pay us for that. $50 <laughs> pledge. For Can't Love. But no, I, I, 
it is definitely a little more rare, right, to have the male sort of in that position. And I think that it's it's done in such an incredible way here. I mean, who better to put into that position than Ryan Gosling, right? Mr. You know, thin, everything's tailored fit. He looks great. I mean, the movie is now, what, five, six years old, maybe even older. And all that fashion still holds up today. I mean, it's it's timeless stuff that they're doing there. And, it, and it's a fun time. It's filmed well. Um, it's paced well. It's got like dollops of humor when he's kind of slapping him in the face and calling him Steve Jobs and that sort of thing. It's just a falling into his crotch. You know, we got lots of comedy in that that's a, section. I didn't really see that as a joke. I saw that as just like a good old time, a know, fantasy just, come true. Yeah, that's whatever. I don't, I don't see why you should be judging me. Your hate of uh, of gay America, Dave, is really coming through <laughs> yeah, in this podcast. That's it. That's it. Great. I, I feel like we're going to have to rely on uh, the country bumpkins now. Ryan, Ryan Gosling just deserves better. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to have to do the heavy lifting with the, the demos here. That's right. <laughs> Dave's hatred is spewing all over the place, man. Well, I, I wondered because you put that that in context with what happens with Marissa Tomei. And uh, I've, I've seen some criticisms as far as how they've handled her character. Mr. and Mrs. Weaver? No way in hell. Cal, what are you doing here? Oh, you two know each other? Yes, yeah, right. We've met before, yes? We have met before, seriously? Mm-hmm. So, I'd like to introduce you to my wife, Emily. Hi, I'm Robbie's mom. She's your wife again. How convenient. So shall we enter... Okay, why don't we? Yeah, let's do that. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm playing catch-up. How do you two know each other, exactly? Um, uh, um, maybe your husband should tell you. We, I think we met at last year's parent-teacher conference, wasn't it? <laughs> Did I miss it? Did I miss the parent-teacher conference thing last year? Is, is yeah, that it? I don't remember. See, I didn't find that mean-spirited. I think you actually need that scene because I think you need you need Steve Carell's character to be punished a little bit before he has his maybe happy ending. Like, you, you can't just have him like, oh, and then he gro- goes off and has sex with 12 women, and then he goes back to his wife, and everything's fine, and he moves on. Like, is yeah, that, I don't understand is what that the, the message that you really want? I know you don't, and that's your problem. <laughs> Like he I didn't think it was kind of, He needs to be kind of brought down low a little bit. And you have that scene where he's, you know, walking home in the rain alone. And he even mentions, like, how much of a cliche this is. Like, you need that moment so he can have a turn and you can root for him again in this in this relationship that he started the movie with. I, I've always questioned that character's intent when he lets it slip and slip in quotation marks that he's now slept with nine women trying to explain to her how she used to be like the only one and she still is the only one, but he has to get the number in there. He has to pull like a little chamber of a dig at the wife. Yeah, I've always Nine? felt that from the character. Yeah. I've always felt like, and while I was watching it with my wife again, she's, she's like, I don't, I don't believe she's like, I don't believe if the film believes he's this nice guy that wants her back, that he would allow that to happen. So she, she actually believed that it was like, it was still part of his sort of final, like revenge to her. Mm-hmm. Like the, the show, like Julianne Moore's character reads it. you you showed me like you, this is, this is part right. of it. And did you, did you all feel that? Or do you feel it's a genuine slip on the character's part? No, I think it's a definite dig. I, I, I don't think that, 
I mean, as a human being, you don't just let that ride. That that isn't something that you bring up in casual conversation. You know, I, you know, we've talked many times. I don't think either one, any of us, just mentions our conquests or our numbers. We've or never been like to that. a PTA meeting together. I don't. I don't know how intense. Yeah, maybe that's, that's where it happened. I actually just signed up for my first uh, membership to the PTA, so maybe I can just bring up all of my uh, sexual exploits <laughs> yes. from the past. My, I'm sure, uh, that'll go well. Yes. My South Beach days. I want to know if you signed up after watching this for the podcast, or was this before? Uh, no, after. Definitely okay. after. All right. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There you go. I, I moved yeah. by this film. I moved to the point I guess, that I want to yell at the PTA. I guess I kind of read that moment as a little bit of both. I feel like he's he's gets to this point where he realizes he's already screwed up. And then, it, and then the rest of it kind of comes out. Like, I think he feels like he's already trapped. He's already made this big mistake. He's already got the like sexy and cute thing has come out. And now, and now it's just like, well, here it is all out on the table. I didn't take it as so much of a dig as kind of like, well, might as well just tell you everything now. Here it is because like, I'm not, I'm not getting back with you at this point. Cause I've already screwed up. Like that's, that's how I read it, but I could definitely see it the other way. I could definitely see it as a dig. And I see why her character sees it that way, especially after, you know, the two of them being the only one all the way up until this divorce, essentially. It does feel a little bit out of character because everything else we see throughout mm-hmm. the movie with Steve Carell is that he is that genuine guy, that good dad, loving husband, et cetera, et cetera. And misses his wife, even while he's having exactly. fun. He's at the bar. He still right. says, I yep. miss my wife. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's he's li- but. Is that a reaction to the breakup? Because, I mean, I'm sure you guys have all been through breakups. You know, that that initial moment, it enhances sort of the look back. You know, you, you look back mm-hmm. so nostalgically at that person, even though they might have been a giant piece of garbage. You still idolize them through that pain. So maybe, I mean, as he is finding out, as he's picking himself up the asphalt and, and you know, heading to the bar, that pain and that nostalgic look back is is amplified to the nth degree as it always is and it just fades away well that leads us to to the actual breakup segment here which is uh basically as soon as he gets any sort of gesture from her end that there's still a chance which takes place when he is doing his landscaping at night and she calls him and he can see through the window that she doesn't actually have an issue that she's using it as an excuse to call him immediately. He's, he concocts, you know, just what you said, Hiro, this, this plan to remind her of the early days. He's, he's going to do this, this putt putt sort of golf. Uh, I guess it's just one hole because, you know, he's kind of lazy. He's been fucking too much. So he can only really, <laughs> he can only really the get around to one. Yeah. Has wow. so strength, man. Let him be. So you say there should have been, it should have been at least a nine hole course. Is that what you're saying? After, yeah, exactly. After that. Little, all right. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> That's I, solid, I, you know, actually. If wow. I'm Julian Moore, I make him, I make him work for it a little bit more and then you'll immediately take it down. Wait, hold on. Why would she have to work for anything? I mean, why would he no, have to work him. for anything? Yeah. Why does he have to work? He didn't nine cheat. to one, buddy. It's a it's a blowout oh, at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's a blowout. Giancarlo Stanton is up yeah. there just delivering the bat. Yeah, he did touchdown, he did the two point conversion. I mean, you got you got a lot of making up to do. So dare I say it? He's uh in this film the the Tom Brady of cockmanship, right? In this oh boy, <laughs> one episode in Tom Brady. Actually, this already. is episode four, and I've probably I can just assume that i've mentioned tom brady the previous the three times tom yeah. brady yeah. reference yeah okay nana hi guys hi sweetheart hi what's going on oh i don't know some game he won't let me take this dumb blindfold off gal is that him what are you doing here what are you doing here wait you guys know each other what's going on 
doing here? Hey, Nana. Hi, Robbie. Hey, Nana. Hi, cutie. Jacob, it's so nice to meet you. I've heard so many wonderful things about you from Nana. I'm sorry, what's a Nana? I'm a Nana. You know, I couldn't say Hannah when I was little. Uh, How do you know my dad? She couldn't say her H's at all. Okay. I'm having trouble understanding what's going on right now. Dad, this is, uh, this is Jacob, my boyfriend. No, it's not. I was bringing him over to meet Mom. No, 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 no. I want to see the boyfriend, Can't please. Breathe. Can I take this off now? Cal, what are, you do what are you doing with the daughter that's grown up? I was 17. That's why we had to get married so young. Dad, is something you should have told me. You never wanted me to talk about my children. I'm gonna go watch TV now. Yeah, that's fine, honey. Why don't you go do that? Yeah, can I come? No. So you you guys, like, really know each other, then. Oh, screw it. This is ridiculous. Oh, honey, he's really cute. No, he's not. Maybe <laughs> to... I mean, look at you. Are you really Aww. a mother? I don't believe it, sister. All right, all right. Let me get this straight. So you guys are a thing. You guys are a couple, right? You guys are together? Yeah, yes. No way. Break up right now. Daddy? Please don't call him that. Cal, that's not gonna happen. Then I will mess you up! Dad! Cal! Cal. Jessica? Bernie? Stay no! I let her babysit for you, you son of a bitch! She's only 17 years old! What are you talking about? Oh god, oh god! No what? Is this some kind of a skit? Because I'm lost. No! Daddy, doesn't even know that I'm in love with him. With who? With him. Are you pointing at me? You're pointing at him? She's pointing at him? Oh. Wait, my dad is the older guy you've been seeing? Oh, I know it. No, 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 he doesn't even know about the naked photos. What? Jessica? Made him naked photos? Seriously? I'm going to beat you until your brains fall out. Time out, time out. Hold on, hold on. But I love her. Jessica's the one you're in love with. All right. So in this film, the the the, the breakup here is actually, um, I guess, could be like a meet cute in other films or an early sort of grand gesture because we are we do have an established married couple that break up so early on in the first scene that we then have to have another breakup when this first grand gesture doesn't work and uh, it's really not Steve Carell's fault. He he's he's an ignorant man here. He's ignorant to the world being against him, that the world is not light, that it's full of darkness and it's coming for him <laughs> in, the, in the form of, you know, a, a stocky uh, sort of broad shouldered bald man who was a former friend that has, you know, terrible gift giving sense. Uh, and Ryan Gosling, who, as, as Hiro mentioned, I spoiled it earlier. It's now revealed to the audience that uh, Nana, who he refers to a lot is actually Hannah played by Emma Stone, which did either one of you get to the, get that on first watch? No, no, I didn't. Absolutely I didn't not. either. Um, no, I think I, it's actually it felt kind of cheap to me. Actually, that reveal, like what? it, it was kind of like, nah, you guys didn't work hard enough to make this work. This isn't playing by heart. You didn't, you didn't quite do it. So it, really? it felt like you a didn't like bit, it at all. Yeah, no, I mean it's fine. It just like as far as like they tried to have a couple moments where they set it up, and it, it just feels like they're they're trying too hard to trick you. They're trying too hard to be just a little bit too cute. But I can kind of see that. I, I mean, I, I think it worked because I, I remember watching it uh, in the in the crowded theater and people sort of gasping and get like sort of tittering, like they were like, "Oh man, I'm about to really enjoy this. Whatever happens next, this is sure. going to be fun." Yeah. Uh, but I I can see your point, Dave, because upon rewatch, I do think that the, the Nana stuff is a little M Night Shyamalan's like, see, see, we had it, and it's it's weird. It's weird yeah, to still be yeah. referring to her as Nana, um, but uh, right. you know, it's fine. I enjoy the film so much that I don't really care. Right, I, I forgive the sins. 
But she walks in with Ryan Gosling, who at this point, Steve Carell knows too much about him, as he says, knows he's a tomcat, has learned from him. But in fairness to the Jacob character, they had just had a conversation where he's like, you know, I think I've basically I've met the, the one. I've met this girl who's going to change me and meet the family. And he's happy for him. He's not happy when it's his daughter. So I've been tossing it back to the guest just out of politeness sake, but I kind of have to toss it to Hyro here because you're, you're well, yeah, the only one with children with kids. Yeah. And a, right. a daughter. So like, what would you do in Steve Carell's shoes? Uh, well, I mean, the immediate danger of some sort of sexually transmitted disease is, <laughs> <laughs> I that. is the first thing Get that out comes of my to mind. <laughs> I mean, you watch this guy go through woman after woman after woman and, uh, you fear for your daughter, you know, you, you, I don't know because she's so much older. I mean, she's a grown woman. She's, and he knows that Jacob is a good soul. You know, he, yes, he's a womanizer, but I think that he just hasn't found the right person that he wants to settle down with. He's not lying to anybody. He's not treating them poorly. I mean, he's, he's making an old fashioned all the way, which is, I mean, if anybody's watched Mad Men, it's a, it's a complex strength to make. So I like I crushed think that, my soul when she downed both of them, watching him spend that time on it and her not even enjoy it. I just, yep, Emma Stone's very, Emma Stone's very cute, but that would be the hardest thing for me to go over with her. And that, and that, that, uh, seduction sequence that she just downs right. those two drinks. Unless you're Bill Cosby, but, uh, you oh, do. See- sorry. Come <laughs> sorry. on, man. Edit that out. <laughs> You really think Bill Cosby put in the that time to make it old fashioned? You. <laughs> <laughs> but you do see Jello shots, sir. Jello shots. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm with the Always right crowd here. For it. Well done. Oh. So yeah, I think that J- Jacob. I think that Cal by this point should know what good of a person I think Jacob really is. I mean, Jacob out of the kindness of his heart, took him under his wing and helped him through an extremely hard time. Because he, he reminded him of, of his father. Right. And he, and he was kind to him. Yeah, he's he's tough love, but it, it's love nonetheless. I think he, do, he does a really good thing. And I think that Steve Carell at least should recognize that and should see the positive sides of it and give him a shot. I mean, um, I think as a parent, one would hope that you have that much knowledge about a person that your little girl's coming home with. You know, I, I think it's a... It's a actually a blessing in disguise. You know, you know him well. You know what you're getting your daughter into. I mean, maybe the Hep C part isn't that great of a thing, but at least you know well, he's a good dude. I'm glad, I, I wanted your your take as a father because I I feel like I somewhat turn on on Cal here. And as I said, it's just bad luck on on his part. But I do think the film is steering us to say, okay, you've you've made a mistake because you're not allowing someone else to have personal growth. You're saying that you've had growth. You believe that your wife has had growth. You're willing to forgive her. You want to be forgiven, but you're not accepting that this 20 something young man who seems really happy that he's finally met someone that he can engage with and have a conversation with. You're not going to allow that. I had the same, I had the same experience, especially when I first watched this. It's the first moment in the movie where I was like, nah, I can't, I can't get behind this attitude. Like I get, I get what they're trying to put across. He has seen everything that, uh, that Jacob has done thus far, but like, it's, there's so much hypocrisy rolled up into it that you're like, really, you're going to, you're going to throw a fit when, because of him, you ended up getting to this place in your life where you felt like you could win your wife back. But the fact that your daughter is involved now, now, now all of this is out the window because right. I know too much. Like I didn't, and even if I he doesn't get his wife back, 
even if he doesn't get his wife back, he's just a healthier dude at that point. He yeah. he shepherded more Cal through. Like, a, yeah, a, a, an astrologer should definitely see that uh, he has done a good thing for him. He's mentored him, shepherded him the whole nine. I I really like this, and this I remember this being like. And anytime I've talked about this film. Uh, with other people, they always point to this sequence. They they love the culmination of all of these these people finally finally coming together. But I do think it, it sets up uh, sort of a lull in the film, uh, and that's always been my issue with it. Because what you just said, Dave, uh, you know, I'm I'm no longer with Cal, and so we get one more bar sequence where Jacob comes and attempts to basically say, "Hey, have you talked to your son?" You know, I mean, it's it's not his fault that uh, his son's crush had a crush on his dad. But Steve Carell does not handle it. I mean, he just he shows up at school and looks at him like he doesn't he doesn't take on the fatherly role of like, I'm going to be the first one to speak here because I'm the more mature one. He's still waiting for his teenage son to make the first move, which is, you know, I mean, it's it's bullshit. Not great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I wondered, you know, if this this breakup, even though it is a lot of fun, you know, once it happens, once everything happens to Cal here and once everything happens with the babysitter and his son, Robbie the setup here for the grand gesture, do you, do you feel that it's, is a hard enough breakup to where it's going to necessitate a grand gesture at the end to bring everything back together? Or did, or is it something that could just be simply handled in, in reality? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's my only real issue with this movie as a whole is like when, when we come to this point in this movie, like we have this big, huge, you know, yard brawl with all these people and really all of this could be solved in like about five minutes of screen time with like hey let's let's actually sit down and talk to each other and figure out what went wrong here and everyone would be fine but it has to culminate probably without kevin bacon probably you probably want him to yeah. leave yeah, <laughs> yeah you showing up is really bad him <laughs> showing up and smirking like oh i got your you forgot the sweater he's oh, got an so article long. of clothing of hers in the car like settle down well here's the thing my son's graduation speech sucks. That's not a joke. In fairness, I didn't know where he was going with that, but I think we can all agree it was headed in a kind of depressing um, way. <clears throat> my son, not him, my actual son, believes in grand romantic gestures. He believes in the existence of one's soulmate. And it's easy to just look at a 13-year-old and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You are wrong. But I'm not so sure. I met my soulmate when I was 15 years old. We went out for ice cream. After my dad started teasing me about my first date, the way dads do, and I told him, dad, it's no big deal. I'm going to be going out with a lot of different girls on a lot of different dates. And that is the first time that I ever lied to my father. I met my soulmate when I was 15 years old, and I have loved her every minute of every day since I first bought her that mint chocolate chip cone. I have loved her through the birth of my three perfect children. I have loved her even when I've hated her. Only married couples will understand that one. And I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm sorry, Robbie, I can't give you that. But I can promise you this. I will never stop trying. 
Because when you find the one, you never give up. So uh, Steve Carell, um, you know, th- this is a film that it really it verbalizes what uh, many films treat, I guess, as a natural act of love, which is the, you know, the, the courtship process on film is very different from how it is in reality. I'd say for most people. Uh, so here we, we don't really see Cal fall on his sword so much as he decides to wave it around uh, at his son's eighth grade graduation by declaring his that love. That sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's weird because most of the time in these films, there's like some sort of sacrifice that's made. And I, I do think, I think what people get into about crazy, stupid love is there is that sense of optimism because it's seen through Robbie's eyes where it's like, no, you should believe in love. And I think a lot of love stories are about, I'll change or reshape myself to be better for you. Like we met and you liked me initially, but I've still got more work to do. And this film's about just getting back to that initial place. It's about, I guess, trusting your instincts, which here is described as meeting Julianne Moore when they're teenagers over an ice cream cone, mint chocolate chip. And I, I, th- I think people really like that, that take on it because if you feel confident in yourself, you're like, that's right. I don't have to change. I just need to be what it, like how, how it was with my wife initially. The, the problem here is, of course, that, you know, he it's a little bit just a little bit self-serving. It's, it, is, it starts as a selfless act to save his son from embarrassing himself going into high school and to try to renew some confidence and optimism that his son has always been known for. Uh, but, you know, as soon as the, the film starts cutting to close ups of Julianne Moore, which I never have a problem with here, I, I do start to wonder. I'm like, wow, this is uh, this is just to get Steve Carell late again. Like, you know, <laughs> Robbie is really in the background. Like, you almost, even as an audience member, I think you forget about the kid for a minute and you go back to that. Any issues there as far as Robbie being used by his father to get laid? Once again, nude pictures from the babysitter, not enough. <laughs> He's got to do even more damage to his son. I, I mean, I guess I have minor issues with it, but the the way I kind of read that scene is not only him trying to get back with his wife, but also proving to his son that there's hope. Like his son is standing behind him and he's telling him, like, I did meet my soulmate and there is someone out there for you, just like there's someone out there for me. Like, I think maybe the camera work frames it in a way that's not great, where you're just going back and forth between Steve Carell and Julianne Moore and not, not showing that, anything else. You also, you also cut to the neighbors who. Yeah, that, who, that's who, one of my least favorite moments. Who of that believe scene. that, you like, know, ooh. that Steve Carell has done something. <laughs> Even in the, the first part of that scene, they still believe he's done something because that dude's ready to throw a punch with their daughter. And yeah. it's like the speech is good enough for they're like, ah, fuck it. He'd be good enough for I my like daughter. <laughs> I like how Mike you went directly to Steve Carell is using his kid to get laid again <laughs> and just completely ignoring the fact that this is also a mending of his relationship with his son. It isn't just that mm. that that thing isn't just about mending his relationship with uh, Julianne Moore and, and getting all Chloe on her. I mean, this is. This is him rising to the occasion to mend his relationship with his son. We t- you talked about a little bit earlier that he wasn't the mature one to just go right. and talk to his boy. Here he just comes out of off the top turnbuckle and he does it in the most public way possible to help his kid out and and to really mend that relationship because they you see it throughout the film that they do have a good relationship. They're at the throw ball. They're he, the kid kind of wanders into precocious child territory a little bit, but not too far. Not enough for me to really have disdain for him, but you do see that building those building blocks are there that 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 relationship is established but it is broken you know when you know you think that your dad is uh stolen your girl it kind of puts a little wrench into the relationship but i think that the the, the thing for me to focus on is is him coming in for his son not so much to get laid savage well I, okay i 
you know, I, I think that the the film was absolved a little bit of using the grand gesture tactic, not just because it, it speaks about it, you know, to to Robbie's character that he has this expectation that that's how life operates, uh, but because of that, you know, I, I I called into question his fatherhood earlier by not having a one on one conversation with him. But even if he had, you know, if if Robbie really is, if he truly believes in those sort of fairy tale endings. There is a part of me that thinks like that character, even if they had they had sort of, you know, they were good again as father and son, that you would still have to do that for Robbie because he wants to still remain in that sort of rom-com world. Like he, he has done – I mean Robbie is probably the creepiest character in the film. And Easily. I, I, it's I, I not think, even close. Well, I think Hiro – you know, what he just said about him being a child is important because you can you can say, well, that's that's immature. That, you know, the, the what he does to Jessica, uh, which is, you know, sort of embarrasses her with the, with her peers at school all by doing these grand gestures. Well, that's, that's really the only, the only uh, other remaining issue with the film is maybe what's left with him and Jessica. What Jessica does is they the gesture back. rewards him for <laughs> stalker behavior. This kid is just going to go on continuing to do this until he gets arrested. It's actually like the only thing in the movie that like every time I watch it, I'm like, Ooh, this is not great. Like here. Oh, you bothered me for the entire film. You've embarrassed me in front of my family. Family, in front of my peers here's some naked pictures have a good time i'm going god to love this movie god love this movie <laughs> give the kids Bad. some credit that that uh, like the internet you'll be fine <laughs> that that big square thing that he built looked like it took some time he put some effort into it it's got some wheels on the bottom so he's very handy someone in a creative way it's cool it's okay it's I'm... okay you gotta give the kid you gotta support this kid you gotta no. encourage this uh don't this. encourage that behavior. What are you talking no, about? No, it's okay. Never. He's bold. He's he's not groping. I mean, he's just masturbating Every and telling her that he's thinking about her. That's all. Single soccer is always bold, Iro. That is not <laughs> something to reward. I feel like it's sort of it's a very old fashioned look at it. Like it, it is clearly since the internet exists here. I mean, this this boy talks about looking at mommy porn, like stumbling upon it with, in the scene with Julianne Moore earlier. <laughs> Mom's crying in bed. Yeah, this this is not you know it's not the the fifties here, the sixties where you know it's going to remain an isolated thing. There's clearly a, a danger of revenge porn or anything of that that nature. But I, I think the film is really counting on you believing in I guess the the romanticism of Robbie that th- right. this will just be like a you know this is just something a maturation process for him, you know. Good stroke material. He doesn't have to imagine anymore. Maybe, Dave, the point of the film is that his imagination has gone too far. So we're going to put that to a stop by giving him nude pictures. So he doesn't. I, I, no, it's that's like, a, oh, that's is this what real people look like? Hmm. <laughs> that's a good read. You know what? The, I think that the, the real creepy part of that, of that uh, sequence is that she stands there and watches him open. Like That is a little creepy, yeah. Like, take it in, kid. Yeah, <laughs> look at me. Look at me in my splendor. So uh, we'll, we'll get to our wrap-up here. I mean, since it is a film with movie stars, uh, Emma Stone, uh, Ryan Gosling, which I actually think that couple, that probably maintains the most realism just because it's like they, they're thrown with some curveballs, but they're like, you know, this is a chance I'm going to take. Just met this person. I really dig them, and we're just going to try to navigate this really, these really weird family problems. Good to see them in a good movie for once. Whoa. I'm trying to think. Jeez. What are the other movies? Gangster Squad. What else do we have? 
La La, La, La Land. Oh, Come that was on. you know That's what? I the think, shot he's I, think I, I probably was more insulting there. That I totally whiffed on La La Land. I'm, I went to yeah, Gangster like, Squad <laughs> immediately. I was like, what else have they done? What movie are they in? Blank. <laughs> 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 only the best picture. Are you? I mean, I own Gangster Squad. One moment. I don't own La La Land, but. I wonder if there's a conversation in this fictional world, you know, there's this fan fiction that I'm, I'm writing in my head where, you know, if, if, if Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone go off and get married, if they're, if, if, and I, I think most people who watch this film have no issues with their relationship. I think that's, everyone loves those sequences. Uh, it, it's interesting that Julianne Moore's decision to, uh, to, <laughs> to open up for Kevin Bacon, uh, is oh, my, <laughs> oh boy, Mike. Oh boy. Well, there's not you, been a, you just couldn't even get it out without giggling. <laughs> there's like. not been a Kevin Bacon dick reference yet, and I felt like I've not you, done my job yeah. as a podcaster. The I mean, low that guy's flower. dick is in more movies than he is, so fair enough. <laughs> but if that had not happened, uh, their daughter possibly doesn't find the one that that affair, Steve Crow getting his 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 nine holes in or, or getting in nine holes. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on, man? I thought I was a scum here. Well, she meets him outside of the relationship, so she would have she would have met that dude anyways. She would have well, met I, Ryan Gosling. I, right? I wonder though if if it's because it, Gosling or Jacob has that that speech where he says hanging out with Steve Carell sort of made him aspire to have a stable relationship, and I wonder if that's what precipitates that conversation because he easily could have taken advantage not even taking advantage she says i'm here to have sex with you and it's him that really sort of slow plays it it's him that's like you can tell he's got something on his mind where he's he wants to handle this in a different way and i i believe in the sure. that that's i believe that's Krell's influence i don't know yeah. man he's rounding third pretty hard and she starts talking about the pillows and stuff i mean he was he was do you think he's, he's rounding third pretty, i mean he's sitting there across the room in a chair sir he's full mount he's i don't know if you we watch the same movie but he's uh the referee's about to call that fight because he's got but the full mount on but her. He's definitely taking it much slower than I think we're meant to believe he does with all these other women. With all these other women, it's like, come on, you want to get out of here? And they're clearly going off like immediately to have sex. Even the, is Whereas it the this, hairdresser like having a conversation. The hairdresser, yeah. he's like, yeah. I know what you're doing later. When you look like Ryan Gosling, I think that that those lines work. If I walked in there trying that shit at Supercuts. It's None of your goddamn say. business. That's what yeah. I would like. I actually would feel I'd feel bad for you if you went into supercuts to try that. <laughs> yeah, at least go to an upscale place. Come on, man. Great clips. Move on up to great clips. I put on the song, Time of Your Life. I do the big move. And they always want to have sex with me. Oh my god. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I agree. But it works every time. That would not work on me. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Grand Gesture. You can find the show on social media at Grand Gesture Pod. If you would like to listen to the show, which is really the most important part, you can go to followingfilms.com, thegrandgesture.podbean.com, or subscribe on iTunes and uh, leave us a review if you, uh, if you feel up to that particular Grand Gesture. Also, thank you to our guest, Hiro. You can find his show, the True Bromance Film Podcast, on followingfilms.com iTunes and you can follow him at True Bromance Cast. That's true without the E because he cannot spell. Thanks again. Join us next time for a Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz rom com night and day with Jason Michael from the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. <clears throat> so do you prefer to do it here in the bedroom? The bedroom is preferred. Mm-hmm.